Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the Muslim Matters Podcast, where we discuss everything under the sun that affects Muslims, such as faith, local and global politics, social media, sex education, civil rights, and family matters, all coming from a traditional Orthodox perspective. Subscribe to our podcast and follow us online on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram on our handle, Muslim Matters. And check out our site daily at muslimmatters.org. Our guest today is Mansoor Adlaifi, author of the book, Don't Forget Us Here, Lost and Found in Guantanamo, which won the adult category for the 2021 Muslim Bookstagram Awards, hosted here on Muslim Matters. Mansoor Adlaifi's book is a memoir, a chronicle of the horrors he experienced as an innocent man unjustly sold by Afghan warlords to the American military, which imprisoned him first in the infamous Bagram prison before being shipped off to Guantanamo Bay, where he spent 14 years of living hell before finally being released. Brother Mansoor, welcome to the podcast. So congratulations once more on winning the 2021 Muslim Bookstagram Awards. I was actually one of the judges. As soon as the other judges and I read your book, we immediately knew it was going to be a winner. Your story, subhanAllah, it's so heartbreaking, so powerful. It honestly brought us to tears. And it also made the reality of Guantanamo Bay feel even more pressing and urgent. For so many of us in the West, even though we know Gitmo still up and running, it's almost been kind of forgotten, which is shameful, but you know, that's how it is. But I'm glad to say your book reminded us all of how it is still very real. It's still up and running. There are still many Muslim men in prison there and being tortured. And if I recall correctly, the 20 year anniversary of Guantanamo Bay's prison has come and gone already. First of all, thank you so much for <laughs> nominating my book for the award. I mean, I'm like, it was an honor also at the same time. Unfortunately, we don't see lots of activities from Muslim communities or Muslim countries towards Guantanamo case or other cases, you know. And uh, I was so happy that you guys uh, nominated my, my book. Thank you so much. And uh, as for Guantanamo, as you know, now Guantanamo become an idea and become the symbol of injustice, oppression, lawlessness, abuse of power and independent detention targeting Muslims, basically. It become a place and the idea that give some kind of uh, legitimacy or encouragement for other countries to oppress uh, Muslims around the world. So last month was the 20th anniversary of the opening of, opening of Guantanamo, 20 years of torture, 20 years of injustice, 20 years of oppression, 20 years of abuse of power. Mm-hmm. So. When we come to talk about, about Guantanamo, Guantanamo was created outside of the justice system, outside of the law. And only Muslims who imprison and still imprisoned at uh, Guantanamo. So it is sad, you know, 20 years and people still talk about that place shouldn't be closed or not. And how Americans themselves misuse and abuse their own justice system contradict themselves when it comes to human rights or freedom or whatsoever. We lived it. And when I say Americans, I don't like say all Americans. I mean like the American government that preach mm-hmm. democracy, human rights, equality, and justice. But Guant- as we know, Guantanamo is the failure of those governments for the last 20 years. And that's a really good point that you made that despite the fact that it's only Muslims in Guantanamo, that so many Muslim countries have remained utterly silent on it. And just the Muslim community in general has been very silent. And it's a devastating failure on behalf of our community, unfortunately. And it's... You know that, uh, sister, uh, let let me say one thing here. Like, that silence Mm. is the reason that Guantanamo still exists and places like Guantanamo exist around the world. Because keeping silence only give legitimacy to the oppressor, it is another form of oppression, another form of injustice. Yes. And, you know, silence only giving tools to the oppressor to oppress you more. Imagine if there was some kind, I'm talking about, for example, uh, the Muslim communities or Muslim around the world, some kind of protest or some kind activities for calling for the closure of Guantanamo. I think should be, something should be had. Should, I, I think that place should 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 have been closed long time ago. Even when you look at the international community, either like United Nations or countries, nobody really 
purchased something or have, have done something about the closure to, uh, of Guantanamo, they sometimes do statement from time to time, like a Shay statement as they do want to- That's a very tokenistic. Yes, exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, when it come, you know, if there, if there is like real pressure on the US government from the international communities or for those countries who preach human rights and justice and so on, I think that should be closed for a long, long time ago. But actually, who cares? Who cares? Yes, it comes down to a huge double standard and a hypocrisy in terms of the discourse about human rights, the discourse about even anti-terrorism, the way that phrase has been used almost exclusively to justify the oppression of Muslims specifically. And they they said, you know, like not Muslim, all terrorists, but all terrorists are Muslims. Mm-hmm. But by default, but as a Muslim, you are terrorist regardless. So yep, in their eyes, in their classification, you are an active or sleep terrorist. So when you look what happened at Guantanamo or what they call what they so-called war and terror, it's not war and terror. It's war of terror because 20 years ago, if you look back, people usually talk about 9-11 and aftermath. Mm-hmm. We should talk about before 9-11, why 9-11 happened in the first place. Yes. Why? I mean, this is really an important question to educate ourselves and the young generation. Why 9-11 happened in the first place? Was it done by the name of Islam Muslims? No. You know, United States government have been involved in Afghanistan since the 1980s, 1990s. Then mm-hmm. the battle turned between Al-Qaeda or the head of Al-Qaeda Osama Laden and the United States. You know, I remember like, yeah. into, I remember in the 1990s, there was a program in Al Jazeera said, Man versus state. You know? Yes. So basically, American government, you know, American administration misused and abused 9-11. They misuse it. They announce war on Muslims. And were they smart? Mm-hmm. What they did? They constructed the language. Then they created realities. Then they legislating some kind of legislation or rules to oppress Muslim, either out internationally or Within, domestically uh, as well. Domestically, yes. So basically, when we come constructing the language, when you look, war and terror. But who is a terror here? They don't want to say war, war Muslims, but mm-hmm. targeting Muslims. They use the phrase for military expansion in mm-hmm. Afghanistan, Iraq, military expansion in Africa and Asia and, and elsewhere. Also legislating drone assassination, killing innocent, yes. entire families, entire villages. So and the international community was silent yeah. on that completely, despite as, the fact that they're yes, killing children. What, yes, when Muslim hear like terrorism, they back off. Wow, mm-hmm. it's like nobody want to. It's People fear. have been conditioned, yeah. conditioned into yeah. the fear and the acceptance. It is the fear within us. We should like as Muslim, you know, what the, also with the Muslims and Muslim scholars, particularly when 9/11 happened, they put Islam and Muslims in the accusation cage, literally. Yeah. And. And this is the biggest mistake. And now when they're like someone who get accused of terrorism or arson terrorism, people back off, you know, you shouldn't back off. I mean, we have been seeing thousands, we have seen thousands of thousands of Muslims around the world. Guantanamo wasn't the worst place. We talk about the black sites. God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows how many black sites they, they have created. You know, many countries, many countries turned their own prisons into black yes. sites. We talk about Egypt, Morocco, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, yeah. Bosnia. In many, Canada, many, many. we have the, the story of uh, Mahar Arrar, and he was Syrian. He was he's a Canadian citizen, but the Canadian government essentially sent him off to Syria to be tortured for I think five years, and that's you know one of the biggest stories that we know of in Canada. But it's not even you know it's one of many, and unfortunately, you know, most... as long as if you are in the country, you, you have some kind of right. But if you are Saudi, you have no right. Basically, yeah. when you said creating, like, go back to the topic, when they created, constructing the language to empty the war. So basically, mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's, it's a game. When they say war and terror targeting Muslims, when they said, you know, kidnapping, they call it rendition. Yes. You know, yep. Kidnapping people from, from different, you know. You're you're really about, when you yeah. change the language in that way and it takes away from what it actually is, it turns it very abstract and vague. And I don't, I think maybe you mentioned that a little bit in your book as well, 
when they, you know, the, the types of torture was ended up being written off as stress positions as opposed to, you know, what was actually being done to you and to others. And you know, when they use that kind <laughs> stress, of vague language, the reality of it. You know, if this if they put us in stress position, this is the least we enjoy it because this is a lot of force. We intentionally like I intentionally I I didn't put all the torture and abuse in the book because it will be nobody can able to be able to read it. And when we th- when I when I thought about it, I said I cannot with it because there is like many books talk about the torture. There is like the Senate torture torture report and so on. So when you talk about, let me finish my first topic about how they construct the language and creative mm-hmm. and studying. So basically, when they said detainees, it's war of prisoner or, or prisoner of war, they call them detainees mm-hmm. again, because you have no rights. At the same time, what they call detention is prison, basically. So Guantanamo was created also outside of the law. So around 800 or 780 Muslim arrived at Guantanamo. The youngest was only three months old. The oldest was 105 years old. Yes, so we are talking about 50 nationalities over over 20 languages spoken. All people, they weren't in the battlefield holding guns or fighting against Americans, as I told you. You know, they were brought from Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, United mm-hmm. Arab Emirates, Egypt, Africa, Bosnia, Mauritania, many countries, Jordan, many countries start selling those innocent men for money. If you go to the report by the United Nations or by ECLU or Satan Hall University, there are many reports about that. Even uh, ECLU, yeah, ECLU in their report said 86% whether either mistaken identity or sold for bounty money. Also, if, the, if you go to the Satan Hall University uh, report about how Guantanamo was turned into an experimenting lab. So yes. we're talking about the, those reports by American institutes. So basically, they created some kind of the realities for the people who mm-hmm. believe that they, they were kind of like fighting terrorists and terrorism. It was a pretext, a tool to promote their agenda. Mm-hmm. And at, this, at the same time, those helping to oppress Muslim minorities within the, the United States or in Europe or around the world. And now we are talking Laying about... the groundwork for what we see now with the, the Uyghur Muslim community in China. Exactly. You know, even like in China, also a few months back, if you remember one of the French politicians, he was calling to create Guantanamo. We are seeing yes. Guantanamo now everywhere. As I mm-hmm. told you, Guantanamo becomes a symbol of injustice, depression, torture, abuse of power, and indefinite detention. War and terror, it gives the tyrant in the Middle East, and especially Arabs, a tool or a, a mean to oppress Muslim activists or anyone who opposed the regime there, they end up like because of terrorism being tortured and detained and that's it, you know. This is what mm-hmm. given by the United States government because if the boss can do it, why not us? You know, it's kind of, this is the way exactly. it is. Sorry, you can't interrupt any time, but sometimes. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm, I'm glad you laid this all out because this is something that, again, so many Muslims have been so afraid. They've been so silent. They've, in many ways, accepted the narrative that has been fed to us all of these years. And that's why, again, as you pointed out, we have so much silence, both from Muslim countries whose governments are complicit in all of this. They know exactly what's happening. They're actively engaged in what's happening. And then you have Muslim communities who are, uh, either they themselves support the American government and its policies, both domestic and foreign. And unfortunately, there are a lot of those who fall under that camp. And then you have, I would say, you know, the rest of us, some of us are aware and, you know, we hate it, but there's always a sense of helplessness. What can we do? And then the others are just, they hear about it every once in a while. They think, oh, that's pretty bad. That's pretty scary. But they don't want to get involved because of what it means to have law enforcement or, you know, security, national security, intelligence coming after you. So there's definitely that sense of fear, unfortunately. Real quickly, I do want to switch gears a little bit, and then we're going to come back to talking about specifically your experiences in Guantanamo. But one huge question that I have and some of the other Muslim Bookstagram judges also had was, what was the reception you've gotten from others about your book? And how did you get your book published? Because subhanAllah, it is obviously, you know, a powerful story exposing so much of what happens in Guantanamo, 
how did a mainstream publisher decide to accept your book? <laughs> First of all, that book, subhanAllah, I wrote it at Guantanamo twice. Mm-hmm. I, wrote it, I wrote it in 2000, in 2010 to 2013. It was taken and confiscated. And I feel like they took my own child. I was like, I was yeah. trying to bring my, bring my child back. And uh, when I, uh, my lawyer also died in 2013. So at that time, I, I didn't have a lawyer that can fight back to get my stuff back. Right. So I got a new lawyer, Aunt Beth Jacob, in 2015. Then I, start write, I started writing again. I used to go to the mm-hmm. classroom, change Shaka to the floor, spend hours and hours just writing. Uh, I wrote it as like legal letters to my lawyer with the legal mail. Ah. Okay. Yes. So the way we managed to get it out, it was written as you know, legal mail. I used to go to the classroom every, every day, spend hours and hours and just keep writing, keep writing and collect the letters, hide them and send them to my lawyers. Mm-hmm. When I got out, she collected all the letters, then it was sent for censorship. And Alhamdulillah, we managed, they took only two chapters, but I knew, I knew like, I knew, I knew how to write because I intentionally like, I, 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 I like addressing like names or numbers that what will, they can like just plug the book or stop it. Right. So, Then uh, when my lawyer told me, we got your book. So we st- she started contacting some publishers. So basically, mm-hmm. basically people, what is new in that book? I mean, there is around like 13 or 14, uh, around 15 book have <laughs> been written about Guantanamo. What's new in that book? I told my lawyer, you know, this is a special book. I know it's special because yes, when I wrote really it, is. I told her, I wrote it as, you know, from this, this uh, different perspective. And the initial name for the book was Moments from Guantanamo. I didn't want to include my own story in the book, basically. I wanted just stories from Guantanamo about our yeah, life, so. how Guantanamo started, how it evolved, how it changed and changed people. It's about our life at Guantanamo, either like prisoners or guards, camp staff, animals, iguanas, lawyers, and everyone. Mm-hmm. So then in 2017, I published two articles in the New York Times. Alhamdulillah, then I was contacted by one of the, uh, my friend, Antonio. Mm-hmm. So yeah, then we started, you know, preparing the book proposal. All then, the technical uh, elements of the, yeah, the pitch, yeah. the agent, all that stuff. Yes, Alhamdulillah, then, uh, then like now when I come to the writing world as a professional, like now we, yeah, there is standards and rules writing. They yes. have to include your story as we see the book now. <laughs> we struggle because we had... Around 500k words, 500,000 words. So, yeah, it's really big. I can show the manuscript. Uh, once you like to see it, it's there. So, it's really big. So, it's also like handwritten. I'll show you later, inshallah, after the show. Yes, that would be wonderful. Then uh, we cut it down around like 300,000. <laughs> well, the contract with Hashat was only like 80,000 words, you know. Oh, like, wow. Yeah, then we cut it down like again 150,000 words. Then we fought with Hashat until like 80,000, uh, 123,000 words. So after that, like we suggest we are going to win the story because mm-hmm. anyone read the book, there's like it's amazing book, it should be two books. But yeah, again, yeah. Like, yeah, so when I was talking to Anthony, I said we shouldn't focus on the hardship and the torture and so on because it's not this is not because not what's about, you know, it's about the life at Guantanamo. But You cannot escape. <laughs> We would like around 20% of the hardship at Guantanamo because you cannot put everything there. You cannot. Of course. Because it will be... After so many years, especially. Yeah. And Alhamdulillah, like, still people still come like, it's hard to read. I said, well, <laughs> you don't know what's, what's, how, how hard it is. The reaction that I had when reading it, I definitely, the first, I think, within the first two chapters, it does hit you very hard as a reader. But then my immediate reaction too was, This is just reading about it and it's nowhere near what was actually experienced. It's the least that a reader can do to read the words that you put on the page. And I can recognize, I mean, I, you know, took a look at the Abu Zubaydah diaries, for example, and you have the sketches and the illustrations. And that really, again, not even near what the reality is, but you get a, a more, a starker glimpse at what is actually happening. And so being familiar with that, at least, reading your book in your words, I understood or had an inkling of how of how gentle you were with the reader in presenting it, you know, and, yeah, and again, yes. it's hard to read. But this is such I don't want to say a sanitized version, but definitely 
you are being gentle with the reader and you're minimizing the horrific elements of it because I don't think most people would be able to get through it, as you said. But what really does shine through, subhanAllah, and this is what every single one of the judges, like all of us, as we read your story, we're like, there's so much hardship and difficulty. And yet you always manage to focus somehow on the very human elements on having so much grace and compassion that shines from page one, whether you're talking about your family, whether you're talking about the people that you met, whether you're talking about the story with, uh, with the iguana, whether you're talking about even in terms of how you speak about the guards and the nurses and others who were you know, part and parcel of that experience, you always manage to focus on elements of human resilience and of Iman and Taqwa and that Sean, like for us, that's what determined the fact that this is a winning book because you speak about these very, very difficult, harsh realities of what you experience, what others experience, and yet you are reminding us, the reader, reliance on Allah, always having taqwa and having mercy and having grace. And for me, that's something that I, I struggle with. So for me, as I was reading that, it put me to shame in a lot of ways, and but I really, really appreciated it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, like we would try to like a book like about who we are basically what makes us who we are as, as people or as a person and how that help us to survive at Guantanamo, how to, you know, to manage to survive. I can say if I survived it, if, if, if I said like we survived. And I apologize to Muslim readers because that book was directly to Western readers. So, you know, I, if, when I get out from Guantanamo, you know, like there is a huge gap in our life, 15 years and, mm -hmm. uh, when I was reading, the, when I was writing the book, I said, okay, write a book for Western readers about, you know, Guantanamo. It, you know, like I didn't, one of the mistakes I, I regret that I should have also include Muslim communities and readers, to be honest I with you. I think you did a good job of it. Honestly, like for us, <laughs> as somebody who reads a lot of mainstream published book, it's actually very difficult to find such a mainstream published book that retains so many elements of your, again, just your Islam. And so we were very impressed by the fact that you were able to include what you did in there. Most of the time when we read books about Muslims or Muslim experiences, but it's published by a mainstream publisher, they tend to remove the elements of Islam from it. And we did not find that in your book. So honestly, alhamdulillah, like what is there is already amazing. Yeah, I mean, alhamdulillah, we managed to get it to it that way. It was, it, it was, you know, tawfiq from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And uh, I said, like, Allah, I got, you know, a lot, a lot from uh, letters, feedback, and comments from the book. And alhamdulillah, it, made me, it makes me happy that, happy to hear how people, like, felt about the book. It's hard to read, but it is really an important book, not because I wrote it. I call it our book, it's not my book. This is the only book that covers 15 years of Guantanamo. Mm -hmm. And it actually, take the people within uh, Guantanamo, the, 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 the secret place. So, yes. you know, because the you see the latest book have been written about Guantanamo in 2007. And I like, initially I tried not to be like as present stories about us all that what like right. from the very beginning, from the very first days, like I want to write about us all because when I start writing, I was talking to the lawyers, telling me about the book that have you read? They said, you need to come more it's personal stories, you know, one line story. So yeah, I said like, I need to write from different, you know, different way and take people write as a reader, not as a writer. So, yeah. but you know, like it, it's just like 15 years, it's kind of like challenging to put it in one book. Of course. <laughs> because we still have a lot of stories, a lot, be, we struggle how we can put it there. And yeah. uh, I wrote also, and uh, I wrote like, I had like an article, I had like 30 pages, which was, mm -hmm. Of like the beautiful Guantanamo, what I did, I extracted all the hardship, all the difficulties, and I would like just as you didn't see any torture or abuse or anything, that would call it the beautiful Guantanamo. So when I talked to the editor, I said, Look, should we include this? He said, No, sir, please, <laughs> we can't. So the story is still there, and we published it in the Jazeera about the, the brotherhood of, uh, of Guantanamo. It's like one piece mm -hmm. of it. So basically, yeah. And, we'll share uh, that as a link, inshallah, when we post the podcast. Uh, inshallah, I can send you the link to it's. It was it was also an important uh, article, like the Brotherhood of Guantanamo, and mm -hmm. talked about how you know because story of Guantanamo, you know, Guantanamo is it's not, it's not prison like in prison. You know, it's a unique place, yeah. not in a good. Not, 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 that doesn't mean a good way. It wasn't the. It, it wasn't also the worst place because if you talk about the black side, where people, you know, died there. You know, black mm -hmm. sides 
I think the worst of the worst ever places ever exist in modern history. But at the same time, when I said that there's worse places in China and so on, but when I'm talking about that created by the country that preached democracy, justice, human rights, and so on, and it become like worse to create those places outside of the, the law, outside of justice, targeting Muslims. So, and what's, what's worse also, that, you know, the CIA, you know, destroy all the evidence and document that could, you know, that talk about the torture and abuse and so on. Of course, so, covering their tracks. Yes. So Guantanamo, when we arrived at Guantanamo, imagine, because when you go to an, a normal prison, it's already exists, or like there's some kind of structure, including the imprisonment system, justice, wherever. So people in prison, mm -hmm. they serve time. There's a type so, of system there. Yes. So in Guantanamo, when you arrive there, it totally dis isolated and disconnected from the world. And we had no shared life with each other. I mean, mm -hmm. within each other. At the same time, it's a place that there is no rules, no structure, nothing. So everything keeps changing. And even the interrogators, because different agencies, they have their own problems right. how to interrogate prisoners. The mm -hmm. administration, when we arrived, one of the generals wanted to treat us as, uh, like, according to Geneva Convention, the others, no. So it was big, like, it's really like a big chaos. Always, conf <laughs> always conflicting. And I, yeah. you know, you, you point that out in the book, too, how different ca camp administrations have different approaches, and there was never any consistency. It flipped and it flopped and it changed, and you never had any idea of what to expect next. Yeah, and, uh, you know, then... They kept changing the, the rules and the law, the rules about the equality standard uh, operation procedure, how to treat the, 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 the detainees, I told you. Mm -hmm. Because at Guantanamo, American constitution doesn't apply. You know, right. Geneva Convention doesn't apply. Kobe law doesn't apply. Diva law doesn't apply. Nothing applies at Guantanamo. And uh, from, the military, from the military minds, it was the perfect place to start experimenting on the, on, on the prisoners, or they call them the detainees. Yeah. So in 2003, uh, by the end of 2002, when General Jeffrey Miller, when we said General Jeffrey Miller, the war criminal who tortured prisoners in Abu Ghraib and Iraq and other prisoners there, I think we all know about what happened in Iraq. So that man, he started de developing what they call enhanced interrogation technique at Guantanamo. Again, Sanitized language that hides the truth. Yes. So basically that man started at Guantanamo and he started, you know, if you, there is a report by Satan Hall University called, if you Google it, Guantanamo America's Battle Lab, it's like around 80 some word pages. You understand how Guantanamo turned into an experimenting lab on prisoners, you know? Mm -hmm. So that general, he was communicating directly with Dunharmsfield. He skipped wow. all the chain of command and he created back a channel and the way they, what they did, how they, it's for, when you come from the military perspective, military minds, you know, you have an enemy, you are going to fight against the enemy. So they want to understand what kind of enemy they, they fight against. So Guantanamo mm -hmm. was the perfect place because you have, you know, all the requirement, people, Nobody seems to care and, about. <laughs> yeah, outside of justice, nobody is monitoring, nobody is watching. At the same time, you have all kind of background, 50 nationalities. Yeah. And you have all kind of age from three years, uh, three months old until like 105 years old. Mm -hmm. So they created different camp and they started experimenting uh, on the brothers at uh, Guantanamo. So <laughs> it keeps changing. And uh, we started fighting back and resisting, <laughs> protesting. Yeah, and, the, and everything we do, everything we do was taken as jihad, terrorism, yes. and breathing cell, wherever. So, but for me and like, uh, like my brothers who were there, you know, I was young, you know, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. You know, yeah, of why course. Why are you doing this? Why? Because when you have a feel, you have done nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. And we told them many, many times, you know, the, the interrogators used to tell us, you want to destroy our country, our democracy. We tell them, okay, you know, you believe in your justice system. If you trust your justice system, put us in before that justice mm -hmm. system and, you know, charge us and prosecute us. 
the thing you are uh, use us to destroy, we are asking you to to stand before the uh, system you have. Even that, they wanted to feel they are being under threat. There is no, there was no threat at all. Even right, they're creating <laughs> an environment of fear for themselves, and then perpetuating in terms of how they. They thought of you, how they spoke about you. Yeah, the way I mean, like you. any, you know, like we, we, you know, like imagine as 18, 19 or 17, 16 years old, because as I told you, this is the age that the most mm-hmm. of the teens were between 16 and 24 years old. Mm-hmm. And we had, we didn't know what to, we didn't know much about Americans. We didn't care about Americans or America, to be honest with you. <laughs> right. You had your own lives and you had yeah, your own like, realities that you were dealing like, with. You want to destroy your country. I mean, like it, we we were like laughing at them when when they say that. I mean, like just in your country, you are the most powerful country ever existed in history, you mm-hmm. know? and you are accusing us like we didn't have even our underwear destroying like, your yeah. country. So the, even even the guards when they arrived, <laughs> they were like, look at us. They were also nervous, some kind of like afraid or right. scared. But months when they when the guard lived with us for a few months or a year. You know, the reality contradicted what they had been told about us. So, alhamdulillah, mm-hmm. many guards convert to Islam. Many guards started uh-huh. realizing the way they treat us, the way they had the situation was. And yeah, yeah. Like, as I told you, because those guards also are humans, regardless. Yeah. Honestly, when they brought to, before they brought to Guantanamo, some of them were taken to the 9-11 site and they were told the one who did this at Guantanamo. So... When so they, they were class, groomed before they even arrived. They were told, this is who you're fighting. And this is yeah. why they're being sent here. This is why they're being held. So they're already being told, what do we say now? Alternative facts, <laughs> alternative yeah. news. And then because, sent over there with that, with that idea in mind. Because when you come to work there, the military is about control. You need to control those people. And so they can follow orders. They don't have like a feeling of, uh, of guilt, of torturing or abusing people. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> basically when they came the first day, we, uh, later that we were talking to the guards about how they, when they, the first day they arrived, some of them, they said, we imagine you guy like eating everything. Like we were mm-hmm. like, <laughs> they were told, if you take your eyes off them, just for a second, they will, they will slot your throat. So this idea that you guys were almost like literal monsters, that you were going to come yes, after them like, and destroy them. Yes, yes. So basically, sometime we, <laughs> when the guards used to come, new guards arrived, was like, hi, guys, welcome. Nice to see you here. Where have you been? Have you have you heard my stuff? You bring my... <laughs> I was like, shut You know, they're normal. I said, yeah. Did you bring my stuff? Candy, yeah. whatever. Just trying to break the barriers to show them like we just right. humans Establishing like rapport and, and showing that you're just as human as they are. Yeah, basically, it's... <laughs> Most of the girls like to come to talk to me because when they arrive, there's like 10 or 12 photos. When they are, when they, when they arrive, they're talking like, this is the most dangerous people in the camp. Watch them. Mm-hmm. I was a smile. Like, so when they, when they watch my photo, every smile everywhere. They said, why are you smiling? I said, I'm happy to see you guys. <laughs> so when the girls live with us and interact with us and they say, we're like normal people because they watch us. Eating, drinking, sleeping, fighting, getting sick, whatever. And as soldiers, they know as what criminal or terrorists look like. Mm-hmm. So, so then they start talking to us. You know, there is a rule. They weren't allowed to talk to us more than two minutes. And sometimes the rule said two guards can talk to a detainee, not one, two. Because when they found that many guards start converting to Islam, some of the guards mm-hmm. started like, you know, the... Not following the orders, sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes with detainees, trying to help as much as they can. Also, those girls were victims of Guantanamo. One of the most outstanding, outstanding stories, if you look at it, the I think you should interview him too. It's James C. Oh, <laughs> you know, okay. James C. It is so sad story, really. I mean, like that man. He, I think, he's the first graduate of West Point uh, University. So we're talking about the Muslim chaplain at Guantanamo, Jim C. We said he was like um, a West Point graduate university and he was an army captain sent to Guantanamo to ease cultural tension between. And <laughs> also, also like, because they required to have like, for your right, to have like Muslim chaplain. There is a Muslim chaplain. The first Muslim chaplain, he was actually doing nothing. Then mm-hmm. Jim C., when he arrived, he was enthusiastic to do something. He started, you know, doing his job. And mm-hmm. 
He's starting helping Muslims in the in the army too, because they feel also isolated. And there was also contractors, Muslims, and so on. He started to organize Jum'ah prayers. And uh, so we were talking to Jim C about the torture, you know, the, the desecration of the Quran, you know, the we cannot yes. pray, you know, the torture. There was a satanic room where they strip, strip, strip us naked. And so Jim C started, you know, as as his job, tried to address those issues, tried to, to counter the torture and abuse that happened in the camp. So you know what mm-hmm. happened to him? We are talking about an army captain. <laughs> General Jeffrey Miller accused uh, Jim C. of espionage. He was arrested. He was classified as enemy combatant. What? <laughs> wow. I'm sad. It's like, we, we were so hurt when we heard about his story. We said about, it was scary too, you know? That mm-hmm. man, army captain, came to Guantanamo to serve his own country because He was trying to do his job. He was accused of aiding the enemy, accused of terrorism, accused of espionage. Yeah, I mean, if you read his story and his book, you understand how deep that was policy toward Muslims regardless being a Muslim. But you know? even if it was somebody working for them, it was still bad. It's not just working for them. He's doing his job. He's an American citizen. He's a, mm-hmm. an army captain. He came to Guantanamo to do his job. But right. doing your job at Guantanamo, keeping your morals, your ethics, your belief, this is wrong. For them, in this perspective, you are wrong. You have to agree to everything. You have to be yes man to everything. Mm-hmm. So we are talking, imagine if they could do that to one of them, an army captain who come to Guantanamo, what they would do to us like us, who are accused of terrorism right. or in their eyes, we are criminals and terrorists. Mm-hmm. So... Like, as I told you, Guantanamo is upside down world. And if you try to preserve who you are as a human being, it's not acceptable. You know, mm-hmm. If, whether you are a detainee or a guard or a corpsman or a nurse or a doctor or interrogator or a lawyer, you know, Guantanamo left to no one and scratch and burn. So, so it was truly about taking down every human who was involved in it and taking away their humanity, essentially, to be complicit in what the government wanted. Yeah, the government actually sold the narrative that Guantanamo hold the worst of the worst terrorists, vicious killers. And that narrative would help them to market their own agenda, their own work. Because imagine they launched one of the biggest military campaign in history to Afghanistan, mm-hmm. Iraq, and so on. And after that, what, what they want to say, we bring an innocent man to Guantanamo. You know, in 2002, when one of the CIA tried to recruit me, he knew I had yeah. done nothing wrong. He knew I was an innocent. But he said, what should I tell my bosses in the White House, in the Congress? We have only charity workers, students. So, and he told me, he said, like, consider yourself. He told, literally, he said, there are, There are always victims of, of war. Consider yourself one of them. And it's one of the things that hurt me most at Guantanamo. Someone knows that you are an innocent. And they're still doing this. Just consider yourself as a victim, as a casualty, or what they call it. Uh, a casualty just, of war. Yeah, I mean, it's not just that. It's like collateral damage. Collateral damage. Yeah. I mean, yes. Eradicating entire families, societies, villages, it's like collateral damage. Muslims live with 9-11. They have their own 9-11 by United States every single day. Every family, they have their own 9-11. So yeah. at Guantanamo, we try to survive, try to stick to who we are. Because what makes Zainab as Zainab? What makes you who you are? Are mm-hmm. your belief, your faith? your morals, your ethics, your memories, your knowledge, your experience, your emotions, your relationship, your unique ideas and visions. This is who make you are. If someone take you to a place and try to change you something you, you are not, guess you become a number, new name, and you are forbidden to do What makes you who are? You cannot practice your religion. Yeah. You cannot protest. You take a strip of your freedom. They want to strip you of your identity. Yes, basically. And you have to live now by orders. Everything. Eating, drinking, sleeping, talking, walking, 
to some extent, we still, alhamdulillah, they have no control over our thoughts or our hearts. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was scary. I'm like, they control everything in your, in your life. Everything, everything, everything. Yeah. The air, the, the light, the, you know, <laughs> everything. Literally, sometimes like we were naked, have nothing, cold, hungry, no air, cold, hot, dark, bright light. So the only thing they cannot control, even your smell. Yeah. <laughs> so your thought and your heart. And it was, alhamdulillah, it was like, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. It reminds us of the, the saying, Asijnu jannatan wanarun. Yeah. So basically, we, we are talking about this is, I mean, this is just a small window to, uh, to go and tell. But alhamdulillah, like as Muslims, that ordeal, that hardship, uh, hardship brought us close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, before I went and I, I studied uh, Islamic studies. I studied, you know, aqidah, tawakkur, raja, you know, rida, mm-hmm. dua. But you never experienced those. You never like really know what, what they mean unless you, you know, Go through you practice this kind them. of experience. Yes. Yes. You practice them like in your day life. It's like they say the uh, you're a graduate of the University of Yusuf alayhi salam, and it's it brings to mind again you know the 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 Sunnah of believers who are unjustly imprisoned and you know this was actually one of the biggest questions that we had from a lot of readers which was in that situation what was it that you did to keep your mind occupied what was the greatest spiritual lesson that you derived from Guantanamo how was it that you were able to maintain that connection with Allah and maintain your iman and even grow in it. You know, surviving at Guantanamo, it was beyond our strength or abilities or whatever you call it. It was, it was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mercy, pure mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because sometimes when, when I remember what happened and the things I spent like, almost like eight years in solitary confinement, sometime really naked, sometime. <laughs> so it just, it just like I said, how I managed to survive? There was some kind of like really tranquility calmness there was in our hearts one of the things the m- most important things that helped us to survive in Guantan was our faith no mm-hmm. doubt about this everyone tell you the same thing at this then we had each other we had the knowledge we had there we had that experience that like as i told you things that make you who you are this is an important role in your survival your memories your knowledge your experience your ethics your morals And we had each other, supporting each other, fighting for each other. We were fighting at one time to stop the torture, the abuses. We were fighting for justice. And let you know, by, by fighting for that and fighting for the closure of Guantanamo, we are actually fighting for American justice system. That has been... It's ironic, uh, isn't it? It is. It is. You are fighting for American justice that has been used and uh, misused and abused. When you call for the, for the closure of Guantanamo, When you come to the American justice system, Guantanamo should exist, but well, no, shouldn't exist in the first place. It can contradict what America is about. So mm-hmm. when we said that, guys, I, I told them always, I said, we are fighting for you guys because this place is so wrong. Because our actions was taken as act of terrorism or Al-Qaeda operating cell in Guantanamo, Al-Qaeda branch in Guantanamo. So all your actions, so I said, okay, so what? Okay, do you think that doing the hunger strike and the peaceful tro- uh, protest as this terrorism? So... I mean, if you consider that terrorism, okay, we had no, we had no other choice related to terrorism. So when you come to argument with them, they didn't want to say because once some was like, they knew their heart, they, what's happening with one is wrong. Mm-hmm. But they want to lie to themselves and convince that themselves they... they it's, it's, it's a deeply, deeply entrenched version of denial. Like they're so insistent on creating this narrative that even when they can see in front of themselves that it's completely wrong, that what they're claiming is not the truth. They're still insistent on maintaining that particular narrative just to make themselves feel justified in doing what they're doing. Yeah, basically like, yeah, I mean, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, we, now it's 20 years since the Abdullah went anymore. Half of the brothers now there have been cleared for release, like 20 of 39. And some of them have been cleared in 2008. 10 and 9, they're still there, imagine, indefinite detention. It's like a death sentence, really. Yeah. So when you sentence one to 20 years, indefinite detention without charge, without right, 
I mean, I don't think that, that happened in American history. I, mean, I think this is the first time that happened in American history. So this is the injustice. I mean, whether should be injustice or injustice, there is no in between. And yeah. the balance of this universe, this is justice. Whether when you come to a personal level life, for example, if someone mi- messed up his daily schedule and this kind of injustice, if he sleep over, if he doesn't take care of her, uh, if she or he doesn't doesn't take care of themselves, doesn't work, they will create some kind of like injustice to themselves, to their families, yeah. to their communities. So that justice, it is really an important, the most important balance for this universe. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created that universe, everything created was on that balance, justice. Mm-hmm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala named himself just, mm-hmm. you know, the just, you know. Now, when you look, the day, like sun, sun, moon, light, night, day. And yes. even when you look at your, ourselves, everything is, ba- is uniquely balanced. So that gives us, we should balance our life accordingly. When you start tipping the balance, that would create disasters, famine, war, destruction. Everything you see in the world now yes. is the absence of justice. Starvation, civil wars, and so on, because it's like human doing. Exactly. As the ayah says, بِمَكَسَبَتْ Yes. And the change will start within us. Within us. You know, because when you look, why this happened? It's like what they say, a phenomenal. No, it is within us. You know, the blindness, the greed, uh, the, the, greed the ignorance, the hate, the grudge, selfishness, you know, the self-interest, desires, whatever. So if we need really to create change in our life, in our environment, in the world, we had and we must, we have, we must start from within ourselves to change to ourselves, the way we live, the way we think, the way we believe, the, and, and, and so on. In Allah, it's simple. It's simple as that. I'm really glad that you brought that up because this is this ties into another one of the questions that we've received, which is that what are the action points that you have to suggest for our listeners? You know, what can the average person do, whether they're Muslim or non-Muslim, to help bring an end to Guantanamo Bay, to help bring it down? Because, you know, as we know, Rasulullah said, free the captives, feed the hungry, pay a visit to the sick. Uh, to the sick. This is in Sahih Bukhari. What can the average Muslim do, especially our listeners, what can they do right now as per your suggestions, with regards to the part about freeing the captives, since that is essentially what all of our brothers in Guantanamo Bay are at this point. You know, at that point, last year, we sent a letter to uh, Mr. Biden to close Guantanamo. It's called uh, Eight Point Plan to Close Guantanamo. It was written by uh, six former Guantanamo uh, prisoners. Mm-hmm. We suggested a roadmap to close Guantanamo. As for the people, Muslim and Muslim, I think, Media is really important. Writing letters, you know, endorse the letter we wrote uh, last year, tweeting about it, posting about it, calling on Biden, demanding the closure of uh, Guantanamo, ending the uh, torture, ending the injustice, ending the, the this dark chapter of American policy. So yes, it is. You know, the, now we need to create as much pressure as co- uh, as much uh, on the uh, Biden administration to close that detention, and anyone. Anyone who are being accused of crime, they should be tried before the justice system. And that, you know, it's simple, you know, free the one who had been cleared. And anyone accused of committing crime, they should be trying to uh, give a fair trial. It's simple as that. So basically, now we should focus on the media, you know, especially people in the United States. They should write to their representatives. Yes. And they should write to them about the closure of Guantanamo, ending the torture. You stopping the, the, the indefinite detention. It's really important, especially the Muslim communities, the, the youth, the young Muslims. You know, it's not for us now, we are we like we are fighting for the closure of Guantanamo. It's not just for the closure. We are fighting for the young or the, the next generation. We don't want any Muslim or non-Muslim end up in such situation or in such places. It's not about us. I don't know how much time I have in my life. You know, I spent around like 15 years there, but now, I don't want anyone to be treated that way, whether whether American Guantanamo, Chinese Guantanamo, French Guantanamo, or Egypt, Egypt, Egyptian Guantanamo. So yeah, standing for justice, supporting those who are being wrongly uh, detained, imprisoned, and tortured, it's about us all. It's to prevent that kind of evil from ever happening again to anybody else. 
Yes. So we will share the letter that you've mentioned as well as the, you know, the roadmap and any other media campaigns that there are. We'll share it on the Muslim Matters post and website, inshallah. And finally, I followed your story since reading your book and so have other readers. We know that unfortunately you're in Serbia, which is a very hostile environment for Muslims in particular. And, you know, you're living very isolated from many times. What is the best way that readers can support you now? Oh, first of all, pray for me. It's really important. I need uh, prayers from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I can get out from that country to where I can, you know, live like free and normal life and uh, help us to close Guantanamo. This is really important. I work also in life after Guantanamo. If you see behind me, have you seen those stickers? It's, this is the next yes. week, life after uh, Guantanamo. Yeah. And I, I recently joined CAGE as Guantanamo Project Coordinator. We are working toward the closure of Guantanamo. And I am work, I'm working also with the, with the release pr- uh, brothers in di- many different countries. There is a lot of, there is a lot of difficulties, challenges, challenges. And, uh, you know, some of the brothers died. Some of them still in jail. Some of them, you know, prison for years. Some of them like tortured simply they were because they were in Guantanamo. So some of us live, some of the, some of us live still live in Guantanamo 2.0. Live some this like stigma of, uh, of Guantanamo. Unfortunately, even Muslims, when they yeah. heard that you were in Guantanamo, they just wow, wow, Guantanamo, you know. And uh, so basically, what I tell people, yeah, I was in Guantanamo, and uh, I'm always talking about it. Try to educate people about it. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy job. You cannot get married. You cannot. You cannot. And so. Because I have been living for, the, I have been lived for the last five years by myself, and you didn't have any friends or like all my communication just on online. Online, yeah, yeah. It's really, really difficult to hear. Subhanallah, may Allah grant you ease from that situation and take you to something better, and provide you with sahba salih in person as well as online, inshallah. And with that, I am going to have to wrap up. But I wanted to say again, Jazakallah Khair, Barakallah Ufik for joining us today, for sharing so much with us. I really hope that listeners are paying attention. Please do check out the CAGE website and purchase Mansoor's book. Don't forget us here. It can be found in most mainstream bookstores. You can purchase it online easily through Hatchet Press, I believe it is. And it's a powerful, powerful story. Again, Jazakallah Khair for sharing your story with us in more detail. And may Allah bless you and protect you and, and bring you what is best for you in this world and the next. I mean. Yeah, Jazakumullah Khair. And may Allah also bless you and protect you all. And Jazakumullah Khair for having me with you today. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Jazakumullah Khair once again. And assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi to the listeners. Please subscribe to muslimmatters.org podcast and check out our website daily. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Hey everyone, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us online on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram on our handle, Muslim Matters. And check out our site daily at muslimmatters.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next one, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.